Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello, welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I am one of your hosts, Teacup or Austin, either is fine. And I'm here with my other host. And wife. And wife. (laughs) Um, I'm Shelby or Sheikup. Yeah, and we're here to talk about all things Dragon Age and the lore about Dragon Age. So if you are here because you love Dragon Age, you're in the right place. Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about today? Well, we've got an interesting topic. You know, we are, we're really close to being done with our faction season. Pretty soon we're going to move into season three. Can you believe that? I know. I genuinely cannot. And even sooner than that, we'll probably hit, uh, we're definitely going to hit our one year anniversary that's coming up in a couple months. It's crazy. Okay. Well, we are finishing up these faction episodes with some some random, some pretty significant factions. So today we've got a big one to talk about. One that is very prominent in Dragon Age Inquisition. And that faction is the Venatori. Yeah, dun, they're very dun. annoying. <laughs> they're very annoying. So you ready to dive right in? Do you want to talk about what you already know about the Venatori, Austin? Um, Do you know I anything know- about the Venatori? I know that the Venatori are easier enemies than the Red Templars. Is that all you know about them, really? Um, I know that they're a rogue to Venter uh, faction. I know that they are not like operating like the official out of like the official command of the Magisterium. Um, mm-hmm. I know that they're manipulated by Corypheus. They're also pretty ma- manipulative themselves. Yeah, that's what I know. Okay, well, at its most basic level, the Venatori, they're an armed cult of Tevinter nationalists and supremacists. So not not great dudes. And like most of them are dudes. I don't know. Do we? I mean, I guess we meet a few female Venatori, but not very many. Um, Alpernia. Yeah, she was the only one that came to mind. So Mm. and you can you can convince her to leave Corypheus. So, yeah. But they are uh, loyal to Corypheus, like wholeheartedly, and one of are one of the main enemies of Dragon Age Inquisition. So at their core, they believe that Corypheus will restore the order and the glory of the ancient Tevinter Imperium, uh, 
So they attempt to sow chaos throughout the rest of Thetis in order to make this come more quickly. They are not officially sanctioned in any capacity by Tevinter officially. I say that officially because if you read the comics and I think some of the novels too, or at least Tevinter Knights, you will see that they may not be sanctioned officially, um, but unofficially they are encouraged behind the scenes. So, and, and the people in the Venatory can be very, very, very powerful magisters. Case in point for her side character later in the episode. Right. Absolutely. And others too. So in the Inquisition, we encounter the Venatori in almost every single area that we can go. I think the only places that we don't encounter them are the Frostbacks, the Descent DLC, Val Royale, and the Fallow Mire. We do technically encounter them in Val Royale. Say more. In Calpurnia's quest, you don't you go to Val Royale? To find the first crystal? Yeah, but you don't encounter anyone. There's Venatory agents in oh, the room. okay. Okay, well then take out Valrio. Also, isn't the Winter Palace in Valrio? No, the Winter Palace is in Halam Sharal. Sharal, that's right. I'm dumb. Did I even <laughs> play these? Did I even play these games? You weren't paying attention, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um... And it is important to note that many of the non-mage Venatory enemies appear to be slaves. And if you look closely, you will see often chains on them. Like if you're fighting a Venatory rogue, they will often have chains on them. Uh, Mage Venatory do not appear to have these. Which is a very sad and sickening twist, but also makes total sense when thinking about the Venatory and their goals and and so so I am impressed that Bioware had that kind of attention to detail Mm -hmm. I think one thing that strikes me at the Venatory and just like their involvement is that like the level of their involvement only slightly changes if you side with the Red Templars whereas the Red Templars are very diminished if you side with the mages or if you side with, like, if you go to uh, the, champion, yeah, the champion of the just mission and side with the Templars, like, the Red Templars are almost non-existent in the game. They're heavy in the Empires and in the Emerald Graves, but right. other than that, not really. Um, right, but either way, the Venatori are there. Which makes sense to me in, in attention to detail because the Venatori are a faction in Tevinter. Um, whereas the Red Templars are a manipulation of an established faction that you right. can stop. Absolutely. And it should be noted, we will talk about the Red Templars and Red Lyrium, not in this season. It will be a next season, but we will talk about them. So we're not just ignoring them. So let's move on to structure a little bit. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so we aren't really sure how the exact ranks and structure break down specifically, But we do know that there are ranks within each class. So for the mages, which I'm going to start at the top, mages are going to be at the top. It is a Tevinter faction, of course. So you have Spellbinder and you have Mage. So for me, that leads me to think Spellbinder is a higher rank than Mage. For rogues, you have a marksman and you have stalkers. I think marksmen would also be higher 
than stalkers. And then warrior, interestingly, has three. They have brute, zealot, and gladiator. To me, I think gladiator would be the one I think would be at the top. But again, we're not really for sure how that all shakes out. Right. I think maybe it's a little bit different in function um, because I think we're just by the names that I don't really have any evidence other than encountering them. Like a spellbinder to me is someone who binds demons um, who are just like uses spells to bind things and enchantments. Whereas a mage is just a general offensive mage. Um, a, mar- a marksman is an archer rogue ver- versus a stalker, which is probably going to be a dual wield um, sneak up stealth assassin tempest versus assassin in that way and then i don't know how to how to change that i all i know is that the venatory brutes are the ones with the big axes the uh zealots and gladiators both wield the big tower shields that make me really mad yes yeah that's a really good point though about like the different subclasses for sure Mm. um and then the last thing i have to say about this structure is that we don't know much about it, but we do know um, whoever you side with and get as the second in command, Calpurnia or Samson, whichever one of them you encounter in the game, they are Corypheus's second in command. Yeah, which is crazy to think about because Samson isn't even a Templar. Well, he was. Yeah. But he's not, I mean, like most recently, no, but. We never was. meet, we never meet Samson as a Templar. That's true. But we know he was a Templar. That's true. That's just a funny point to me, is all. <laughs> well, let's get into the, their history and beliefs a little bit. So, obviously, they revere Corypheus, right? And they, like, basically worship him. And they do this because they believe that he will turn them into gods and or kings. It's kind of mixed. But that once they are turned into gods or kings, they will rule over Thetis once Corypheus ascends to the Black City and becomes a god. I greatly disapprove. So I don't want to be offensive. Um, but this kind of reminds me of Mormonism. Like, <laughs> because, you know, and, and, and I'm sure I'm operating off of stereotypes that I've just like learned growing up in, in my religious studies. But there is a Mormon belief out there where it basically says like, when you die as a Mormon, you, I don't know if it's turned into a God, but you get to rule over your own planet. And then God rules over all of us, right? This reminds me of that. I can see that. Um, I don't know how uh, implemented that belief is. Um, The Mormon church did come out and say, no, you don't get your own planet anymore. Okay. So they changed that. (laughs) Yeah. Like in back in 2014. But like, that's a thing. That's not, I didn't make that up. No, that's a real thing. That's uh, was a belief. Doesn't it have something to do with Moroni? Moroni's just an angel. Yeah, but doesn't it have something to do with him? I, I don't know Mormonism enough to say an answer for that. Okay, well, this reminds me of that. I'm just saying. Okay. I'm sorry to all the Mormons out there who are offended. Um, I would be genuinely shocked if there are Mormons listening to our show, but you never know. So back to Thetis. <laughs> um, so the Venatori, their main effort is to destroy all of the southern nations of Thetis. 
at least until the new Taventer Imperium under Corypheus emerges, which makes total sense because they want to go back to the olden days when Taventer and its control reached all the way to Antiva and Ravain and all the way down like into the Korkari wilds and all the way through Orlay and Navara and the Free Marches and Ferelden all over Thetis. They want to conquer the whole continent. They're very colonial. Um, there is a ideology that this reminds me of, which is Manifest Destiny, which is the idea that like, you know, we're divinely destined to, to this land and to own this land and to rule over it. And it's our divine right to have. Which in American history is deeply, deeply problematic and is the root cause of um, our mistreatment of anyone who was here in this country before white people came over. So it's not a good thing at all. Um, But yes, I agree with you. I think that Taventer very much embodies this concept because they feel like they have a right to everywhere else. At least the Venatory do. I should say specifically. And that leads me into my next point, which is that it's really important to note that the Venatori do not represent the views of the average everyday person from Taventer um, or even the views of the Taventer Imperium as a whole. It's really important to note that throughout Taventer, there are regular average everyday people who are not bigots, who do not want to conquer the whole world, who just want to live their lives, right? There is a diversity of opinion throughout Taventer. Um, and that's really important to say, we don't want to write off the whole of Taventer just because of a subset group. It's kind of the same thing with our country, I think, you know, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you're on, I think it's really easy to demonize the other side. And the crazies, whoever you think they are, do not represent the whole of the people in the United States, right? Yeah, I think that's a really um, good point. And like, it's good to know that like, as of right now, and especially like what Dorian tells us is that Taventure does not want war with Orlay right now. Uh, yeah. Not with the Kuhn breathing down its neck and everything else. And like, it's, as we noted in our Taventer episode, uh, one of them, that Taventer mages are not exposed to Orlesian Templars and how they work. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're kind of the stuff of nightmares for a Taventer mage. The fact that they can just turn off their magic. Um, it would be a very frightening thing. And I bet there is a lot of fear of like, do not poke the Orlesian beast. That's probably true. Yeah. And Dorian does say like in Inquisition that, and he insists this actually, that the official governmental bodies of the Imperium will disavow any and all suggestions of involvement with the Venatori. And he even goes so far as to call them dangerous cultists. So that's pretty significant. They're not allied with the Venatori, even though, and he does tell us this too, that many magisters will probably privately think that the Venatori have the right idea. And in a discussion about the Venatori at Skyhold, Cullen even says that he believes the Venatori are a separate sect of fanatics. They are not 
they are not the beginning of an official Taventer invasion into the rest of Thetis. So they are their own group. They are a minority group and they don't reflect the views of the average everyday citizen. Yeah, and I think that would be true. It's like not, and the same thing is true in Orlais. Not every Orlesian citizen or Ferelden citizen is, you know, think mages are just walking like demon husks ready to sprout and attack them at any moment. True. Or even think that elves deserve to be enslaved and live in poverty. Like, Also true. You're going to find diversity of people and opinion in every country that exists in Thetis and didn't exist in our world. Because that's just how people work. No one is ever totally unified 100% behind anything. That's just how people are. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the Venatori uh, and how they operated throughout Dragon Age Inquisition. So what do they do after Corypheus's defeat? Well, uh, many of them especially those who had never admitted to being official members of the cult in the first place, distanced themselves from the Venatory, as, of course, you could have guessed. But there is a good remaining number of loyalists to the Venatory, and they frequently, frequently stir up trouble. And actually, the Antivan Crows have been taking contracts to eliminate members of the Venatory. Eight members of the Venatory have already been killed in Tevinter Nights when Lucanus Delamort takes a contract on Ambrose Forfex, the wig maker, who is also a member of the Venatory. So while many of the other assassinations of the Venatory members have been kept from the public, the death of Forfex and around 40 of his guests at his own wig show are too big to be kept quiet. So Interventor, as we are currently aware of in this limbo of years situation, Venatory members, especially prominent ones, are being eliminated and killed by the Antivan Crows, especially. So we also know they do still have loyalists, influential ones at that. Um, but they are very much in a state of limbo. They are not, they are not a defunct faction. They are very much still around, but they have been lessened in power greatly. How much do you think that it's uh, Liliana just calling her old pal Zevran to arrange the death of these Venatory agents? I don't think that at all, actually, because Zevran is not a member of the Crows. Zevran is, you know, not part of them at all. And I would have to go back and reread uh, to Venter Knights those chapters about this. Because um, I don't exactly remember if it says anything about who's ordering the contracts. But someone is. I wouldn't put it past the Inquisition to be the people doing that. But I don't think they're going through Zevran. It could also be... It could be Dorian and his group. It could be another rogue to Venter group that just wants the Venatory out of the way because they're bringing too much heat onto Venter. Absolutely. It could also be the new divine, Victoria, whoever she may be. It could also be anyone, literally anyone. It's got to have the coin. Yeah. Which, as we know, a lot of people in, in Thetis have money. You know what? I wouldn't even put it past the Archon of Taventer. Well, I think now would be a good time for a break. All right. 
Well, let's take that break. So we'll see you after the break. So, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around this. I'm listening. Ah, you've returned. A letter arrived for you. All right, well, welcome to the middle of the show where we talk about all things that don't have to do with the lore of Dragon Age. Um, And so this is also a time we like to come and thank our patrons. And before I list our first five patrons, uh, or Shelby lists them, whoever wants to do it, we can, I want to say a special thank you and a fun announcement that we have our first, first enchanter level patron. so Derek B, thank you for coming and to be our first Enchanter patron, the first one. I'm going to say first a lot. Uh, yeah. um, so that will mean that our patron episodes will be happening um, and Derek will be joining us for that. And that's next really exciting next week. And so that is very exciting. And thank you so much for your support. Yeah, we're super appreciative and we're super pumped to talk about Dragon Age next week with you, Derek. So anybody else, if you want to join us talking about Dragon Age on our Patreon episode, hop on in there, become a First Enchanter patron. It's only 20 bucks a month. We think it's pretty affordable um, and it's a blast. So you want me to read the rest of our patrons? Yeah, give us a thank you to the rest of our patrons. All right. The rest of our patrons are Lisa M, Genesis, Fletcher M, and Zuba. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you. We really appreciate your support. And that's one of the reasons we do this uh, podcast is to meet other people who love Dragon Age and talk with them and nerd out and discuss the lore, discuss expectations. We love doing all of that. Um, And a great place to do that with us is our personal Discord server, the Cups Podcasting and more. Uh, You can find that link in the episode description. We got channels for everything. We've got them for Dragon Age. We've got them for the Assassin's Creed Lorecast, which we also host. My other podcast, the Holocron Histories for Star Wars. We all talk about that stuff there. Also, if you want to see our dog, who is adorable and named Snips, we do post pictures of her there. Um, So yeah, it's a really fun place to be. Um, If you cannot support us on Patreon, there are other ways to support the podcast. Main Main, mainly which is tell your friends about it. Uh, if you enjoy our podcast, tell other people to come and listen. It's a great way to spread the podcast. The other way is to let other people know you enjoy the podcast by leaving reviews or ratings on Spotify. Um, you do need to have an account on Spotify or Apple to leave a rating or review, but you don't have to listen to our podcast on those platforms. Um, but if you leave a five-star review, uh, with some words, we will read it on a future episode of the show. Uh, we do not have any new reviews to lead, read today. So if you are just itching to have your review read, just go on and give us that rating. Uh, we're also still looking for heroes, hawks, and heralds. So if you have any of those that you want to share, you can join the discord. You can reach to us out on Twitter at DA Lorecast. Um, you could also send us an email at dalorecast at gmail.com. All right, well, let's get back into the episode. My friend. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. Okay, so let's talk about how the Venatori are involved. So I want to go to a comic real quick specifically the mage killer comic so in this one 
basically we learned that the Taventer Imperium does deny any suggestion that they've been involved with the Venatori. We learned that Archon Radonis hires Marius and Tessa, two of two people that we've talked about before, to assassinate members of the Venatori. Marius doesn't want to do this and Tessa does. And that's a little bit of the conflict of the of the comic. But they're given four targets, all mages, all leaders within the Venatori. Havian Solara, Corinia Kralius, Paulus Nimian, and the one and only Calpurnia. And throughout the comic, um, you learn that Marius and Calpurnia were once lovers. And that's uh, the major conflict of the comic. And it's a good one. So if you're interested in it, you should check it out. So their whole thing is that they were contracted to assassinate Venatori by the Archon of Tevinter. I don't think that Archon Radonis is doing this out of the goodness of his heart. I don't think he's doing this because he even really disagrees with what the Venatori are saying. I think he does this because he sees them as a threat and he wants to maintain his own power. But nonetheless, he does it. And it's not necessarily in an official capacity, like it's not publicized, but that's his official stance. And so you know, we can't really accuse him of working with the Venatori, right? Yeah, I think that for me, he probably does it as a way to say like, hey, at least I did something like I'm not with this Venatori. Get the heat off me. Like, don't pay attention to me. Yeah, yeah. I think that and the fact that he's just trying to shore up his own power are are the two biggest motivating factors for him. Um, He's not doing this because he hates the Venatori. Like, if he wasn't the Archon, he could be part of them. We would never know. Um, But back to the game. Throughout the events of the game, the Venatori can actually be fairly successful in their efforts, which is interesting because I feel like when playing Dragon Age Inquisition, it feels like Corypheus is just being defeated after at every turn, at least after Haven. Um, So when you see it that way, I think it makes a little bit more sense. But Uh, The Venatori infiltrates several different courts and cities at very high levels. That is if the Inquisition doesn't stop them. And it's uh, not always clear how to stop them, especially in war table missions. So some of the things they do, they infiltrate the courts of the Duke of Hunter Fell. They infiltrate the courts of King Marcus Pentagast in Navarra. And they infiltrate the ranks of the Mortalitasi. So they're all throughout Navarra. They infect the water supply of humans in the free marches, specifically in Wycombe, and they blame it on elves. So we've got Navarra and the free marches now. They infiltrate the royal palace in Denerum in an attempt to assassinate the monarch of Ferelden. So now we've got Navarra, the Free Marches, and Ferelden. And as we know, of course, they are all throughout Orlais. And that is pretty much all of Southern Thetis. So they're doing work. They're putting in work. And they are especially prevalent in the western half of Orlais, in the western approach, and the Hissing Wastes. They are just freaking everywhere out there. Which make which is makes sense because it's kind of the closest, I guess, point of Deventer other than the free marches. Yeah. 
I feel like Navarro is pretty close too. But it's interesting to me, like at least as the game's going on and their involvement is like, you know, if you side with the mages and the Red Templars are your enemies, the next things you do, even though the Red Templars just attacked and sacked Haven, is go deal with Venatori. Whether that's the Venatori assassins at the Winter Palace and Wicked Eyes, Wicked Hearts, or if it's the Venatori manipulating the Great Wardens in at adamant fortress true they're everywhere and i think the game wants you to feel like that so they also in addition to just like infiltrating courts and palaces they also use multiple groups of people and creatures to accomplish their goals which you kind of just brought that up so they use the skulls of the tranquil to create the ocularums which through which we as the player characters find all the shards. They use giants to excavate the ruins of Korakavis in the Western approach. And they use giants to excavate the temple of Solasan in the forbidden oasis. They also attempt to capture a high dragon for Corypheus to corrupt in the Western approach. Um, and they do this through attempting at least to use the renowned dragon expert, uh, Professor Frederick of Seralt from the University of Corley. And then lastly, and most significantly, they use the Grey Wardens to infect them with a foe calling and uh, convince them that another blight is happening and all this, all, all the quests with the Great Wardens. So those are just some of the things they do. There's more stuff that I haven't mentioned, but uh, that's the big stuff. Yeah, I mean, they're terrible. It makes me think, like, are they the ones who also manipulated the Carta into trying to free Corypheus? Mm. yeah interesting which came first like the venatori or corypheus it's right. very much a chicken or the egg situation i feel like like the venatori sentiment is probably something that's never gone away into winter mm -hmm. kind of like dorian says like there's a lot of people who privately think that they've got the right idea so i think that maybe i would think that corypheus might have come first um and like after hearing Hawk's reports, because obviously it's not a secret because Cassandra's asking Beric about it. Like we've heard about this and one, Beric can't keep his mouth shut. Um, True. So I'm sure that there are Tevinter Magisters and other people who hear of this Corypheus and they're like a Magister, like one of the original Magisters is alive. Like we need to find them. But then why didn't they do that with the architect? My only thing would be that the architect is more of a secret. I think that Bioware forgot about the architect. <laughs> I mean, that's possible too. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in Awakening that I feel like they forgot. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, Nathaniel Howe makes just like a brief appearance and he was a major player in Awakening. Like, Yeah, that's fair. Well, are you ready to hear about the known members of the Venatori? Always. Okay, so we've got, obviously, Calpurnia and Samson. We've got Cassius and Servus, Duhame, Livius Aramond, a.k.a. the worst person in all of Inquisition, Garion Alexius, and you can argue Fiona. 
Fiona's not really willing. You could argue that. Yeah. I don't really want to get into the argument. Yeah, she's very much tricked into it, but she also agrees. So, Well, that's a good segue to our side character. That's um, true. Who is not Fiona? No. Uh, so, yeah, you want to tell us who it is? It's someone we've kind of talked about a little bit already, but we've decided to dive a little deeper. Yeah, so we talked about this person a couple weeks ago in Dorian's Deep Dive. But we felt like he deserved a little bit more. So Garyon Alexius is our side character for the day. And honestly, after I did the research for Dory and I came to like a place where I felt for Alexius more. Um, Because he's not part of, he doesn't join the Venatori because he wants power and glory under Corypheus. He joins the Venatori. So he can heal and fix his son from the blight. You know, that's a very, very, very different motivation than the other people who have joined Corypheus and the Venatori. So I feel, I feel some sympathy for him. But let's go back to the beginning. So Garyon is a Tevinter Magister. He is a member of the Venatori. He is the father to Felix. And he's a former mentor to Dorian. We meet him in Inquisition, and he's the main boss of the Mage's Quest line. Garion has taken over Redcliffe Castle, banishing Arl Tegan Garen. And he is manipulating them using time magic. So, if the Inquisitor sides with the Mages, you obviously defeat Alexius, and uh, you can pass judgment on him at Skyhold. So you can, you can uh, do four, you have four options. You can choose to execute him. You can choose to imprison him. You can choose to make him tranquil, or you can choose to make him serve the Inquisition with research. I've done them all. I have not. I've Um, never made him tranquil. I just can't bring myself to it. It is interesting because Alexius is one of the few people that you can personally execute. So, like, if you do that, you are the one who swings that the sword to kill Alexius. If you make him tranquil, you suffer a lot of war table consequences for it. Um, especially if you're a mage and you've sided with the mages. Well, I guess you would have sided with the mages. But the mages under there... Um, that's really a lot of consequences and almost all of your mage companions disapprove greatly. Even yeah, I can imagine they would be uh, very unhappy with that. It's very hypocritical too. Yes. To do that to another mage. Like I, I can't imagine. Um, there are people who just dis- uh, making him serve, I think probably has the least amount of consequences other than execution. Uh, you get a couple people who disapprove, like Cullen, Cassandra. Uh, you're more hardcore people who are like, don't trust to venter, don't trust mages. I mean, Liliana's all for it. Uh, yeah, that's I, I, I tend to pick, uh, make him serve the Inquisition and, and yeah, do yeah. research. Imprisonment, I just feel like is... I, I don't feel like it's a proper like punishment for his crimes. Um, and I don't feel like, I feel like Alexius at this point, when you judge him, he's very much at this point of like wanting to either like atone, like he doesn't, a lot of the people fight your judgment or move against it. Um, I'm thinking of specifically the mage with Adamant Fortress, who's basically like, 
I'm a Taventer mage. Like you can't mess with me. Like blah, 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 this, 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 where Alexius is like, I did what I did for my son, Felix, and that's over. So you can do what you want with me. Yeah. So that to me is a man who is ready for atonement and serving the inquisition is the best way to achieve that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, And that ties in perfectly with my next point, because before he became part of the Venatori, he made a name for himself. He was pretty famous in Taventer. Um, And he did this by excelling at being a magical researcher in the circle of Minrathis. So I think that giving him the punishment of research for being, being a researcher for the Inquisition is a fitting punishment because it still allows him to use his gifts. You're just using it for your benefit, not Corypheus's. Um, to me, if you're fighting a war, um, it seems very wasteful to execute someone who could be of use to you. This is the whole Logan thing all over again. What do you mean? When you're traumatizing Logan experience. Okay, well, if you're in a, I'll say it again. If you're in the middle of a war, it doesn't make much sense to execute someone who can be of use to you. I stand by that statement. Even though you lost your boy? I mean, I didn't romance him, so he wasn't really my boy. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> I, I just, anyway, we'll move on from the Logan situation. Well, it'll come back up when we do our Logan deep dive, I guess. Um, but anyways, so let's get into what Garyon's research was. So he, as you can probably guess, investigated the limits of known magical laws. So I'm not talking about like, don't use blood magic laws. Like we're talking about the properties of magic, like Newton's laws, like laws that govern our realities. That's what he's investigating. That's what he's researching. And specifically, he researches time magic because that's a place where um, we don't know a lot about how magic works with time. And, and you can see that in the actions in, in the Red Cliff Mage Quest. You know, he doesn't even understand some of the things that are happening, how you go into the future and all that. So um, it's definitely still an area of magic that is developing, I think. So, um, Garyon's wife and partner for most of his life and academic career was a woman who was named Lady Livia of House Arita. And she specialized in research as well, um, but specifically studying the veil. So, I think that their two research areas fit really well together. Um, and they probably, you know, worked together a lot in, in their research. So, okay. So how does he become a magister, right? Well, his father gave him his seat in the magisterium, uh, trying to get him to become more of a politician rather than just an academic. So magister Alexius became a tireless champion for education. And he especially championed the circles into Venter. And he also criticized the magisterium for funding wars against the Cunari at the expense of funding the circles. And he campaigned for better schooling for the Saparati. And if you remember, the Saparati is the lower class. There's, they're not mages um, 
I can't remember if they're the slave class or not, but I think they're just the non-magical class in Tementor. Um, so that tells me that he's not a wholly bad character. He's not um, a 100% evil person. Like he still has morals and ethics that guide him. And you can very much see like, I know we're not there yet in the story, but like how this translates to Dorian as who he is as a person. Like, this whole idea of bettering to venture and it can be better than it is and funding there and it, like investing in the good parts of Deventer, he gets from Alexius. Like mm, absolutely. And that's just he's just very tragic in what ends up happening to him. Um because of a tragedy he's driven to extremes that I don't mm-hmm. think he would get to if Felix wasn't in danger. Yeah, I agree. So let's let's get into Felix. So Felix is Garyon and Livia's son, and he showed signs of magical ability very, very early in life. And uh, however, it quickly became clear that his talent was limited. Um, he he was never going to be a full mage, even though he had magical ability. It was not going to be. He was never going to be Magister. Like he was never going to be um, someone that excelled at magic. And Garyon's father, so Felix's grandfather. Um, this is so shitty. I'm not over it. Was concerned that his heir was, quote, barely more than a soporati and tried to have Felix assassinated. Why are they like this? He puts Hallward Pavis to shame, doesn't he? Yeah. So uh, Lady Livia, Felix's mom, comes in. She saves the day. She uh, blocks her father-in-law's attempt to murder her son. And she then has her father-in-law assassinated. Good for her. Good for her. Um. So Felix survives, as we know, into adulthood, Um, and he doesn't become a mage. He does not become a magister. Instead, he turns out to be a very, very skilled mathematician, and his parents sent him to study at the University of Orlais. So he becomes successful in his own right, regardless of whether or not he's a mage, right? But, you know, for for people in Tevinter, this would be terrible like they want their lines to their their family lines to have the best magic and have the most talented people so it would be very tragic uh for you to have a child for two two mages to have a child who ends up to not be magical yeah which is it just like makes you feel more endeared to him that he like there's like true love and admiration to his family, to his wife, to his son. Like yeah. that he doesn't care if they're the strongest mages. He just cares that they're well-rounded people who mm-hmm. want to do good for their country. Absolutely. So um, when Felix goes to university in Orlais, Garyon and Livia take on apprentices to help them in their research. Livia took on many assistants, um, kind of spreading the load throughout several different people, whereas Garyon took only one, Dorian. 
For the next few years, Alexius and Dorian worked on breaking the boundaries of magic itself, while Livia and her apprentices sought to determine the effects of such magic on the veil. They were believed to be very, very close to a breakthrough when tragedy strikes. In 938 Dragon, Garion and Livia traveled to Valrio to visit Felix at the university and return with him to Deventer for the winter holidays. While crossing through southern Deventer, their party was set upon by Darkspawn, Herlocks specifically. Though the creatures were driven off, Livia was killed, and Felix was infected with the blight sickness. Alexius basically gives up everything. He doesn't work. He doesn't do anything as a magister. He doesn't research. He doesn't do anything except for care for his son. He is obsessed with his son's health. That is his singular focus. Because at this point, he's lost or is in danger of losing everything. He's already lost his wife and he might lose his son too. So that's all he cares about. Um, and after a while, Dorian and Alexius have a falling out. And I think Dorian tells you about this. And he, Dorian, is very grieved um, about his actions because Dorian basically tells Alexius, like, just get over it already. Like, you need to move on. Um, because Alexius is grieving deeply and is feeling guilty about everything that's happened. Um, and Dorian, you know, Dorian is young and wants to like get back to work basically. And Alexius isn't ready for that. Alexius is, um, he's still grieving. And so Dorian, Dorian really regrets how brash and insensitive he was in this time. But, uh, this conversation that Dorian and Alexius have essentially ends their relationship. It ends their friendship. It ends their mentorship. And Alexius and Dorian do not speak again until he tried and failed to recruit him to be a part of the Venatory. And so up until that point, we don't really know how Garyon uh, joins the Venatory officially, but I think we can draw some conclusions that He's desperate um, and that in his desperation, he, he will look anywhere to find healing for Felix, for his son. And the only place he can find any kind of comfort or relief is from this crazy darkspawn madman, old god thing, Corypheus, promising him the world. And like, I'm sure that like Corypheus is very much saying like, oh, I can control the blight, like. Serve me well, I will take away this sickness from Felix. When we don't actually know if he has the power to do that at all. Right. Absolutely. I, I mean, if he could take away the blight, why didn't he take it away from himself? Exactly. But yeah, I think you're right that like it is a moment of desperation and that he is just very desperate to hold on to his son and like keep his family together. And like that's kind of like when you pass judgment on him at it uh skyhold it's just like he's a man who is just lost everything and doesn't have anywhere to go and like he's just, just like you can kill me you can imprison me you can do whatever you want to me 
nothing's going to hurt more than what I've already endured. Yeah, he is. I think the definition of brokenness when he's being judged. And I think when I first played Inquisition, I did not appreciate this. I did not understand the gravity of it. I just saw him as, oh, he's the annoying guy who made me go into the future and see scary, crazy, creepy Liliana. Like, that's how I saw him. I didn't understand half of this backstory. I didn't even really, like, have all the full conversations with Dorian to understand, like, their mentorship. Um, So... I I did not appreciate the richness of this story. And in doing this research, it really, really makes me feel for him. Like, he's just a grieving father, you know? Like, and that doesn't excuse any of the horrible things he's done, but it helps us understand him. And I, I have compassion for him. And it's just like, I mean, and not only just like a grieving father, but like he's also a man whose compassion extends outside of his own family because he shows compassion in taking in Dorian and obviously like teaches him and rounds him out as a human, as a human being, because when he takes Dorian in, he's like a party boy um, Mm -hmm. and like a rebellion. And he leaves like a respected member who wants to better his country and do good in the world. And yeah that's not an easy thing to do as a teacher. No, it's not. I mean, I've been in that situation with, with kids like that and yeah. it takes a long time to even get kids to trust you mm-hmm. uh, much less to like have an impact in their lives and, and hope they change for the better, right. you know, like that's and not a quick process. For Dorian to trust him he would have to see that he's different than all the other magisters he's met before. Yes. And like, what a tragedy for Dorian too, to have like the one and only to venture magister who cared about you your whole life, who you thought was different, who arguably was different to then fall prey to the same old groups that every other to falls for. It's heartbreaking. It is. It's very tragic. And Mm. uh, also, I don't want to skip over this because I think it does illuminate his character so much that he even fights for more schooling and education for the lower classes of Tevinter. Like, that's significant. This is a society where it is deeply deeply divided by class like it's this is not an inclusive society this is an exclusive society this is a place where if you're not a mage you're nothing where if you don't have money you're nothing where if you're nothing then you get nothing so for a magister someone who's raised with wealth and privilege and has every opportunity in the world to even care about or think about the lower classes in Tevinter takes a person with a lot of character and integrity. Yeah, totally. Which is just like, that makes, he's such a tragic character and you really need to dive into the lore and the games. Otherwise you don't get that. It's just a, 
you see just every other Tevinter, but like under the surface, you hear a grieving father and a hurting man and a person who I think is even disgusted with what he's become. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. And I should say grieving widower, widower yeah. too. Mm-hmm. And I think that we could stay here and talk about Alexius and Deventer and Dorian for a long time for a whole nother episode. But no, probably we should probably. I think. Do you have anything else? I All do not. Right. Well, thanks for this little uh, sad ending to our episode, and thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. When a wasteland detective and a vault girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest. Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you. Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the wasteland can throw at them. It's him! It's the Mothman! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bonnie? No, it certainly does not. True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts.